reserves. They're going to have built and deploy as many as 100,000 filters. So in effect, create the same amount of capacity in 300 megahertz that we currently have in 500. And they can do all that in 36 months. Now think long and hard about how long it's likely to take to do any of these other things. So we have a market test. The company that has the companies that have the information and face the opportunity cost of not making the spectrum available have said in 36 months we can make this spectrum available. That's why 36 months makes sense. Steve, um, so how, uh, so I mean, the, the, the disadvantage of your plan potentially is the delay, um, where the advantage is more of the spectrum. Except I know also two levels argued that it wouldn't be. Right. So, right. so I think, I, I think that's exactly right, right? We're not, we don't have to trade off um, time to shortchange ourselves on an inferior outcome. Um, we think an incentive auction, the FCC has, has done incentive auctions now. They know how to do it. They know how to run them. They can um, create an incentive auction structure quickly and, um, and run it quickly and that the, uh, there'll be some additional time to set that up and to run it. But the back end relocation of our plan will actually end up clearing that spectrum faster than CBA's plan. Because? Well, because moving to fiber is fast, right? I mean, there is abundant fiber out there. If you look at the licensing database, the vast majority of these earth stations or in urban areas are very close to fiber if they don't already have fiber to those facilities now. Um, and uh, there's a lot more rural fiber out there than uh, than people give credit for. Actually, if I could interrupt so, for a second, just I think that we, we haven't um, defined really earth stations for people who don't know about probably everybody who knows. But tell us what the earth stations are and what the fiber issue is. Yeah, so the earth stations are the facilities or the stations that actually receive the satellite um, the satellite signal, right? So there's two parts to this equation: the satellite that is transmitting to Earth that's owned by the satellite companies, and then on the other end, the Earth stations are uh, licensed to or registered to the actual users that are receiving that spectrum. So what we're talking about then is uh, the Earth stations being able to sell their rights, because from our point of view as a, as a wireless carrier, all we care is whether or not we can use that spectrum in an area. And the interference is from us using it into the earth stations, not into the satellites or even the satellites into us. Satellites can transmit um, and it doesn't interfere with us. So we just need to clear out the earth stations in that area. So if, all, if the earth stations in an area agree to sell and move to fiber, we're free to use that spectrum in that area. Um, and that solves that problem. Uh, your fiber, people are familiar with that, right? Um, uh, so pretty much everybody gets the broadband. Does, does anybody have an estimate of how much it would cost to add fiber to the earth stations? So I mean, to yeah. So so we're actually we are just completing a study of that. We've done some initial. We hope to go in the FCC in the next probably two weeks. Um, but it, you know, we're it looks to us like it's. Um, in the range of a billion dollars for all the air stations. And that includes looking at 
there's uh, I mean so there are earth stations that are registered and you know all the rights are protected there are stations that are pending um, whether or not they've got status uh, I think people would agree that 33,000 is kind of an outside number of number of earth stations out there and so looking at getting fiber to all of those earth stations we think would run about a billion dollars. Um, Patrick and Colleen, uh, you're... Before I, before I yield, I, I just want to touch on this monopoly point too because I totally agree with Tim that the C-Band Alliance approach is a monopoly approach, right? It is not a market-based approach. Yeah. I really hope we have a mo uh, more than a moment to talk yes. about that. So, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll come definitely, back Yeah, we will all come back to okay. that. But oh. before we move off of the Earth Stations and Fiber, um, uh, since Patrick and Colleen, both of uh, your organizations rely on these Earth Stations, um, does this sound, what, you know, what is your reaction to the Fiber like, cost estimates, uh, how feasible it is, and, and so on? I mean, I'm happy to start. I mean, because I understand when you initially look at this as, as a video programmer, you say, we've been using C-Band forever. Why would we want to switch to anything else? But um, we've been looking at it within Charter much more carefully. And really, if you look at the benefits of fiber, we talk about capacity, 4K and 8K that are coming that are really high bandwidth um, you know, requirements. And fiber is, is great for that. So when we look at this proceeding, again, at first it was, you know, no, we don't want to do anything that disrupts our existing services. But if we look at the future and where we're going, it seems like fiber is something that we're going to want. Um, and so this seems like a good opportunity for us to figure out, let's, let's figure out how to, how to make that fiber work. Um, and so we need to both to clear 5G and to see how fiber can be, you know, used within our system um, to create better services for our customers. And that seems like a good thing for the FCC to be considering right now as part of this proceeding. So, very quickly, if fiber could provide the ubiquitous, reliable coverage that the C-band does, we'd already be using it. I mean, that's, that's the answer. Uh, it's not viewed as a viable alternative by our industry. Um, with respect to the availability of fiber, you know, um, I'll, look, Steve's a very smart guy, works with a lot of smart people, I'll look forward to reviewing his study, and we may respond to it. Um, I think it's interesting that we just broke news that there's no rural broadband problem because there's so much rural fiber out there. Uh, but look, the, the bottom line from our perspective is that we just we don't view fiber as a viable alternative to the C-band. And I would want to chime in. First off, Patrick's not alone. Uh, the major content owners at Charter initially all uh, through shade on doing fiber. The content companies, the Disney's, Foxes, and so on that I mentioned before, said there's not nearly extensive enough uh, fiber deployment to replace nationwide C-band usage, especially but not exclusively in rural areas. This earth station point, I realize TPI may not be the place for a real deep dive on the legal issue, but uh, I just want to have uh, a little bit of time to talk about that because without that, none of the auction alternatives solve the holdout problem. And therefore, are pretty much guaranteed to take a really long time. Actually, so, how should you define the holdout problem? Okay, so it's pretty simple. Uh, in the voluntary incentive auction at 600 megahertz, there was actually competition among broadcasters. The commission had the ability to uh, move folks. So an individual broadcaster uh, uh, bidding in the um, reverse auction faced a certain amount of competition. 
the in this case, as I pointed out, each of the fixed satellite service companies have a non-exclusive right to use the full 500 megahertz. So any one of them can hold up a voluntary solution. So Intelsat, for example, in an incentive auction, could say we're not participating, and unless the FCC were proposing to forcibly mandate and move them, there would be no incentive, voluntary incentive auction by any stretch of those words. Uh, the only way it gets solved, and I already mentioned this, is proposing that, oh, wait a second, maybe we can pit the Earth Station folks against the satellite folks. And because that's so crucial to this um, holdout problem, I want to just address that very briefly and maybe humorously at the end. Uh, you know, first off, the FCC unequivocally has looked at this and said, Earth Station rights, user rights, are ancillary, not incidental. This is not a surprise. The Act authorizes the FCC to license radio transmissions. And nearly all of the Earth Station uh, users are not licensed. The reason they were ever registered was to give them some legal status for the existing fixed service folks. And from a policy sense, this makes perfect sense. Think about TV broadcasting. In many markets, I imagine 80% of the viewers in those markets get their broadcasting content through cable or satellite. Now, could a uh, entrepreneurial cable company come into that market and say to the FCC, we have brought out the remaining 20 percent of the households. We're going to move them to either satellite or cable, and therefore we can now do terrestrial mobile, and the broadcaster in that space has no legal rights. Now, even if a new viewer came on a year later, which by the way could happen under uh, the uh, incentive auction that Steve is talking about. The answer, I think, I will go out on a limb here, I think many of Patrick's members would look askance on the idea that they could lose their legal status as the licensee, that they would not suffer interference if 20%, in my hypothetical, of the viewers no longer care. Oh, I think it's a, a total non-starter. How did, how did you solve the hold-up problem? Aha! I mean, we use the market process. And I, you know, you alluded to the fact that I was previously at Intel. My, uh, as I look at my dear friend Preston Patton uh, in the audience, uh, I first got involved in this when I was at Intel. The Intel could care less about the satellite guys. My CDA members would like to hear that, but that's true. They wanted spectrum available for 5G as soon as possible, Tim like yesterday. And they uh, came to us and said, we need this spectrum. And we said, it isn't going to happen. Look at this. They've got influential customers. They have strong legal rights. We had a hard time getting the 28 gigahertz away from them. Okay, We thought long and hard about it. And we said, wait a second. If we give them flexibility, just as the Wheeler Commission did to Exo Communications at 28 gigahertz, by the way, and Straight Path at 39 gigahertz, we believe that there's enough win-win opportunity here that they'll solve the holdout problem. And indeed, that's what's happened. 
When Intel went to Intelsat, we persuaded them to do this. Then Intelsat persuaded SES, SES persuaded Utilsat, and then Utilsat persuaded Telesat. I think I got that last order right. But in any event, the win-win opportunity created by the market process, because it internalized the importance of speed, uh, led those companies to solve the holdout problem. None of the other proposals do that, with the exception of T-Mobile's, and as I say, it's fraught with legal political problems. Um, Tim, here, uh, there's, been a lot of, there's a lot of economics in there. Uh, <coughs> let me just uh, throw out three things, or three points. Uh, one, just that in just sort of skimming this stuff, it does seem like one side was claiming monopoly and one side was claiming delay, and so that's going to be what the fight was about. And if one side, if there was no dispute about one of, one of those things or the other, we wouldn't be here. Um, but that's not to say that I know whether delay is there or whether monopoly is there, and I'll come back to that. I think what we've heard is why it sure would be nice if there was some sort of actual market test as to how valuable the spectrum is to know whether it's 180, 500, or something in between. Um, I will say uh, that the idea of getting everybody into a room and reaching an agreement and calling that a market process is something that may, may come as a surprise to my friends in the antitrust division, but, uh, but be that as it may, one can be a little bit fast and loose with the term. But that said, uh, I'm just sort of curious whether, in fact, this particular spectrum of 3.7 is a relevant market. Uh, I don't know that. I don't know what it is. I will say that when I was at the FCC and they issued the Mobile Spectrum Holdings Order, they went to a lot of trouble to say that spectrum below 1 gigahertz needed to be treated differently. I kept saying, that must mean it's a separate market, and they refuse to call it a separate market for reasons which remain a mystery to me. So I'm not exactly sure what the story is here. I mean, it is quite possible in principle that that the C-band alliance has no incentive to withhold anything because they're only part of a relevant market. Um, or maybe they are all of the relevant market. I simply don't know. And so I would be kind of curious as to whether there's actual evidence on that in one way or the other. Uh, Steve, it seems like that. Yeah. So let's be clear. The C-Band Alliance process is not a market process. It is a windfall process. They looked at it. They have been underutilizing this spectrum for many years and can free up unused spectrum and sell it at an immense profit that's worth many times the value of all of those companies put together. And that's what, that, so that's what they're going for. And at the same time, they see the opportunity to just keep their service completely intact while, while reaping this windfall. There is no market test as a result of this. And so to Tim's point, the only way you're going to have a market test is to have something like the incentive auction that we've proposed, where you've got competing interests um, using the market to figure out the value of that spectrum and looking at alternatives for delivering those services. Yes, um, a, a lot of the interests have said cheap fiber is not a great alternative for us because right now they have access to an underpriced service because of excess capacity. We're subsidizing 
these satellite companies and the provision of those services by giving them and allowing them to hang on to that spectrum. So it's whether or not we continue to allow that to happen or we have a true market process for freeing up and figuring out how much of the spectrum should be used for terrestrial services, how much should be used for, uh, for satellite services. And, you know, we're talking a lot about market processes. I think to Colleen's point earlier, the FCC, the, the, certainly these market processes, particularly incentive auction, are a new mechanism for the FCC. In the past, when we've looked at it, um, the FCC has made decisions about freeing up spectrum and um, uh, alternative ways for delivering services and whether or not those services can be delivered while freeing up spectrum. And that's certainly the case here. So I, I would say, you know, the FCC would be well within their rights to take a look at this and make those judgments. We do it with Department of Defense Services. Um, we've done it before with broadcasters, where broadcasters used to have 12 megahertz of spectrum, right? It was reduced down to 6 megahertz as a more efficient technology came, came along. So it's whether or not, um, uh, you know, the FCC, the FCC certainly has the tools to look at it and take that kind of approach as, as well. Um, I do want to touch on Peter's point that uh, he, he phrased that the FCC has unequivocally um, ruled on the rights of those earth station uh, licensees. That is not true at all. The FCC just put out a public notice that's out for comment now to relook at this. They raised in the original NPRM the prospect of the earth station licensees um, being part of this process. And they're registered now not for the convenience of the satellite industry, but more the convenience of the FCC. It wasn't that long ago that they were um, full licensees. And the FCC has gradually, over the years, reduced the regulatory burden on those earth stations so that they could more efficiently and easily um, get the protection rights um, without having to go through the full licensing process. So uh, you know, I think it's clear that the process that we put out is, uh, is the, is actually the legal process um, and one that is the true market test. If I, could, if I could just jump in really quickly on um, one of the many issues that we've now teed up, uh, the amount of spectrum to be repurposed. I think from our perspective, we just don't want to emphasize that this is not a negotiation like buying a new car where I say 400, you say 200, and uh, how about we settle on 300 and I'll throw in the underbody treatment. Um, the amount of spectrum that is reallocated from our perspective should be no more than the amount that allows the C-band to continue to serve its irreplaceable role as part of a content distribution architecture that hundreds of millions of Americans rely on whenever they watch television or listen to the radio. If I can just, I, we agree with almost all, except for I, I think that we just want to, we think that this is incredibly important spectrum, right? And we, our customers value the service they get. So we agree that there should be nothing done to disrupt any any of that. And I think that the FCC needs to take a look at, based on the importance of 5G and the importance of, of these video services, what is the right test? And we don't think that, that the satellite companies should be deciding that. We think that um, they would need to look at what is the best use of spectrum and as part of that, obviously, they need to protect existing services and find the best transition me method and make sure it's just reliable. We don't we don't disagree with that. Um, 
we don't want to receive calls from our customers, but there's a problem either. Um, so we agree. I think that you need to continue protecting that, but we also think that it should be the FCC considering all of the different arguments and not just agreeing with what um, the satellite companies have decided is the, the right amount of, for 5G. Uh, just a couple of quick things. Uh, I don't care if someone makes a whole lot of money from selling this stuff. Uh, I care if if less than the competitive or less than the efficient supply is made available, but if in doing so, people make a quote-unquote windfall, that's that's fine, that's the market signal, and that gets to this other claim about what's quote-unquote irreplaceable. Market will tell you whether it's irreplaceable or not. I mean, if people bid an infinite amount, then I guess it's irreplaceable. If they don't, then it's what it's worth, and maybe there are other ways to economize on its use uh, rather than just asserting irreplaceability, and that's, again, what the market is designed to do. Again, that's all to say that whether auctions work or easy to design, how effective they are, that sort of thing is something that the auction technicians can can discuss. Um, but but if, but doing things like asserting that certain things are irreplaceable is probably not all that helpful. But the important point here about the CBM approach is that, in fact, they do bear the opportunity cost of not clearing the spectrum. So we simultaneously hear that there's this huge amount of money to be made, but somehow economically rational satellite companies are not making as much available. Indeed, what we have said is that within three years, we can make far faster than any of the alternatives, mind you. Within three years, we can make 180 megahertz available, but as new compression technologies and other things come online that are not proven now, we are very open to doing more, and it will likely happen. At the market power issue, uh, Professor uh, 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 correctly points out, is the key issue here. Uh, because CBA, CBA has every reason to make the spectrum available if it makes sense. Our economist, Coleman Bazelon, many of you know him, he's an institution on spectrum economic uh, issues, looked at this and he said the relevant market includes 900 megahertz of mobile spectrum generally. I mean, generally, economists look askance on calling cherry pie filling a relevant market. Uh, as valuable as this is for 5G. Wait, the relevant market is 900 megahertz in which bands? What, what, uh, they're mostly what the existing mobile uh, mo mobile bands. I can't kick them off right off the top of my head. He's It does not, it ignores many existing mobile bands. It, it ignores all millimeter wave bands. Uh, and then he takes an accepted, widely accepted estimate of demand elasticity and shows pretty straightforwardly that it would be economically irrational for CBA to withhold 100 megahertz, say from 200 when it should be 300, if in fact that were efficient, they would lose money doing that. Interestingly, I think the real fear on a lot of people is that the auction itself may not be sufficiently competitive and therefore undercut the incentives for the C-Band Alliance to go forward. 
But if the FCC adopts a competitive auction design, that problem should be pretty straightforwardly handled. Uh, you know, one thing that a monopolist does is control supply. So if you've got 500 megahertz and can sell a portion of it now at a very high cost and then sell some more later at a high cost, that may look better to you than selling a lot of it at a lower cost. So to the extent that the CBA proposal undersupplies the market by providing only 180 megahertz, you would expect those prices to be extremely high and competition to be uh, great around that and keep the price and the return for the satellite companies very high. And my quick answer is, if the relevant market is 900 megahertz and you accept the widely accepted demand elasticity, the arithmetic doesn't work. There is not 900 megahertz out there. Well, I, I'm happy to you know, debate the ins and outs of that. But well, we, we, we should do that one too. We should take some questions from the audience, but let me ask one um, more thing, and it's, it's, it's a little bit of an unfair question, but I, I understand, I mean, the CBAN Alliance's objective should be to maximize its total uh, returns, whether that's you know, including from selling spectrum and from its current, you know, its current operations. Um, what is uh, what's T-Mobile's objective? Uh, because you would think T-Mobile could also participate in the in the private sale. Um, is it that uh, T-Mobile thinks it could have uh, that it would potentially have access to more spectrum at a lower price um, if it were a, an auction? I mean, how does it? Because I mean, your objective is to get spectrum, right? So. We've been buying spectrum for a long time, right? And we go head to head with AT&T and Verizon in a lot of, you know, both public auctions and private auctions. And I'll tell you, they've got a lot more resources than we do. So in an undersupplied market, they have got resources and, you know, will have an advantage that we don't have. Steve, is, Steve and I have been friends for 30 years. God willing, we'll be friends uh, uh, 30 years from now, that might be pushing it, yeah. in my case. Uh, uh, either the complexity and difficulty surrounding these alternatives means that they're likely to take a really long time. If you look at the auction proceedings from uh, 2001 to date, from the completion of an NPRM to the completion of the auction is two years. We're talking 2022, and if you look at the complexity of the things that they're proposing to put in this auction, it would be way beyond that. Verizon and AT&T, the last time I looked, have a lot employ a lot of really capable lawyers. They really want this spectrum quickly, and they think that this approach will do it. Um, there was a Twitter question, and it's about the, it's actually it's about windfalls, so you, it's to Tim, so you can elaborate on windfalls a little bit. If Professor Brennan does not care about the dollars being made, how, how does he suspect an incentive um, to reach a solution can be achieved? So solve the problem right now. I obviously don't understand the question. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, if I have something that is worth $50 to somebody, or that's worth $50, and I can sell it for $50. If I bought it for $49 and make a dollar, that's fine. If I bought it for $0.50 cents and make $49.50, that's fine, um, as long as it's going to the highest value use. So, uh, you know, 
that if someone wants to tax the windfall profit, someone's got a wealth distribution issue or something that they want to issue like that, that's fine. But that's uh, but if the question is efficient allocation of resources in general or spectrum or, uh, in particular, whether someone makes money getting it to its more, a more highly valued use, um, that's a virtue of the system, not a not right. a problem. I, mean, of the I system. think another way to say it is that uh, windfalls can can make us really upset, but we should allow them because it may be efficient. Yeah, that's right. right. And then if you want to tax windfalls, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, questions? Yeah. One yeah, um, thing that's kind of not in the conversation, and with good reason, because it would make it pay a lot longer, is the role that Congress is going to play in all this. And so, to what extent uh, are your positions being formed based on how they're going to feel about where the money goes, that's a windfall, um, how that's going to affect their constituencies? the race to 5G, all this. What, what do you guys think about when it comes to Congress? Uh, I mean, I'm happy to jump. I, I don't think we're um, really guided by uh, what Congress is going to do here. I mean, I think they'll, you know, they'll take their own actions. I mean, in general, Congress has wanted to recognize revenue from spectrum auctions, right? They've, they've wanted some return for the public um, as a result of that. You know, from our from our point of view, actually, it doesn't really matter to us where the money goes. And, you know, I'm arguing here against a, a windfall, um, but, you know, frankly, there's not, that, that's not such a driver for us, right? I mean, we're, we're our interest is in getting that spectrum, but in, and in getting as much of it freed up as possible. So it's not really a windfall per se that, that we have an issue with. But I think, you know, Congress is, is rightfully concerned. There are a number of people in Congress that are looking at this now and saying, well, wait a minute, why should, why should those companies just get this windfall? Um, and why shouldn't the, um, uh, the public get some return on it? So I, you know, I have no doubt that they'll have a role to play here. Sorry. Uh, we're uh, very interested in when Congress uh, thinks on this. Uh, Chairman Wicker uh, and Subcommittee Chairman uh, Thune have written to the FCC uh, urging them to move quickly on this. They didn't take a position, by the way, on any particular approach. They were neutral on that, but they emphasized the importance of speed. And I really want to emphasize this point. Our approach internalizes that, right? You have a market process that places a weight on the value of getting this record in the market. Uh, you know, the other uh, players involved uh, don't bear any economic consequences, you know, from the capital markets for this happening or not happening. Uh, and we are very interested in making this happen. I said how crucial it is for 5G. I want to emphasize this point about security. There's a lot of concern today about the security of the 5G ecosystem. If the FCC makes this spectrum available quickly, the secure 5G vendor community is going to be enormously benefited because the major carriers, Steve's and AT&T and Verizon and Sprint, do not use non-secure vendors. I won't name names, but you know who I'm talking about. 
And so probably the single best thing you can do to foster that 5G ecosystem, secure vendors, is to get the spectrum in the marketplace for you. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to speak for Congress because my Hill team will just get mad at me. But I, I do want <laughs> to comment on, on the speed question that, that Peter keeps bringing up and that this is really the fastest way to go. And, and we have some concerns with, with, with that argument. Um, I think, first of all, as we've I discussed before, the FCC is expert in what they do. And so if we're talking about a process that's going to make this spectrum available transparently and with all the legal rights and requirements that come with that that we've had you know throughout spectrum auction history there's a lot of steps that go into that and we have an FCC that's very good at doing that that's done that and so the idea that we would let um, some private companies do that I'm sure they have lots of auction experts but there are a lot of different steps and the idea that you would um, you know outsource that as some, we don't think first of all is legally, um, the FCC has the authority to do that uh, you know the uh, it's com uh, communications act requires competitive bidding process um, but really, auctions are hard. They are, they are complex. We don't disagree with that. And we think the FCC is the expert agency to do that and to prevent any kind of legal challenges to, to the auction process um, or whatever sale process that you, you know, come up with because they're going to be using their system and they're, they're doing it under their own authority. Are you saying that Congress should keep its nose out of it? <laughs> no, I would not say that. <laughs> <laughs> not the words of your mouth. I would not speak for my husband because they're not here, but they might hear back. So, <laughs> so the competitive process is only required where there's mutual exclusivity. It's not going to exist here. And uh, the C-Band Alliance has made a lot of efforts to put things in the record. Our band plan, just Google CBA, uh, CBA band, band plan, and you'll see the trade press. It's a very competition-friendly band plan. The auction design is being vetted with lots of different companies, some of whom are at this table. Uh, and we are going to make a very transparent process. The commission, throughout the process, approving the design, the conduct of the auction, the grant of the licenses, ultimately, will all be approved by the FCC. The auction we're going to conduct all be on the record and it's going to look an awful lot like an FCC auction, except we're going to do it three years faster. Um, uh, yeah. Um, speak, speak up. We can't hear you, which probably means that you can't hear us. And this is a specific question about timing, but segues right to the proposal, as I think it was generally understood so far in the timing, was that the the sale to take place within 36 months after an FCC order. And there was a recent CBA filing that said, okay, we're going to do this in two different groups over the top 15 markets within 18 months, which seems to be something of an acceleration, and then everybody else after 36 months. And I just wanted to understand, is that an intended, is, is that the intended scope now? And, sort of how much longer after 36 months might the other well, well, hopefully all of our pronouncements have been consistent on this, but uh, let me speak truth. They, we have said that we will clear all 180 megahertz in 36 months. We have also said in the band plan that because we don't need satellites for the clearing the first 60 with a guard band. We can do that in 18 months. Now the actual auction 
if the SEC were to rule August, September, our auction could likely occur early 2020. The likely winners would be known in 2020, early 2020. They would have to go through this FCC process that I've been talking about, but the economic reality is that they would all start calling up Nokia and Qualcomm and Ericsson and others and saying, hey, we're likely going to be deploying in 18 and 36 months. What can you do for us yesterday? I, I would like to agree with Colleen on this one, though, that an FCC-run auction makes sense here, right? The FCC, and there is a, a, a reason that it takes some time. There are uh, it's not just the auction structure that they deal with. They end up getting into competitive issues, um, whether it's bidding credits, the license sizes, um, payment um, requirements, plans, and timing that can all impact the auction and the competitive um, nature of that auction. So there's, a, a, and you know, a lot of this does go through, one of the, one of the things that takes time is, um, you know, parties going back to the FCC and kind of fighting hard on, on a lot of those issues. You lose all of that regulatory oversight um, by just going and outsourcing the auction process to a, a third-party company. Is all of this a result of poorly defined property rights? Uh, I mean, T-Mobile and, and every wireless carrier is involved in lots of secondary trades in both directions, presumably. Um, and we obviously don't have this kind of uh, debate over every sale. Uh, is, is, is that the root of the problem or is there, of the controversy, or is there something else? Well, it, it's, we, we do a lot of secondary transactions, and if, and if the CBA Alliance was trying to sell something that they owned, there would be, I, I think there'd be no controversy here, right? The fact is they're trying to sell something that they don't own that doesn't exist right now, which is, um, uh, mobile broadband rights to the, to this spectrum in the country. Now, right now, that satellite spectrum, that's what they've got licenses for. Um, and what they're trying to sell is uh, our mobile terrestrial rights. So, it's, so that's what separates this from a normal uh, secondary market transaction. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Paul, one you're kind of watching the tea leaves here, and I could be way off, but 300 seems to be the magic number. Um, if, if this did stay on the private side and CBA was running this on, on the whole uh, spectrum, why, is there any conversation or uh, ability to go to some of these first stations privately and try to clear, have them clear and CBA share proceeds with them? Uh, if, if you just, if you didn't do the FCC at all, you just kept it privately, why hasn't there been more discussion with Earth Station? I'm just not hearing a lot about that. Is that. They're not willing to do it. Has it been approached? Uh, why can't that be a place that gets more stuff? So in the first 200, basically, the Earth Station folks just have to show up, right? They're going to get a filter installed at our expense, and they will be kept full. Your question, though, is a good one because for Spectrum, beyond the initial 200, and particularly, I'm trying to... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, if you were to uh, use compression technology, for example, uh, to solve the problem, then 
the Earth Station folks, the content folks would have, it would be much more intrusive. And then there would be uh, a reason, a uh, much stronger uh, reason uh, for kind of an incentive situation uh, to be developed there. But, but the point we're making now is we're keeping those existing customers, including the Earth Station folks, completely whole. There's, and you know, I'm not going to put words in Patrick's mouth, but certainly in dealing with the content companies, and they're on record, you know, they've made very detailed uh, requests, and and others have, and we basically have said yes to all of them. I guess this is, this is a somewhat related question, but to see why do you why do you think that the that the uh, FCC incentive auction would yield more than 180 or 200 megahertz? I mean, lot, lots of the FCC auctions have yielded less than originally anticipated. Uh, because there's repeat questions uh, the question was, um, how, how can, um, wh uh, why, why, do, why does Steve believe, or why does T-Mobile believe that uh, an incentive auction process would yield more than 180 or 200 megahertz? Because when you look at how relatively inexpensive it is to move the, these systems to something like fiber versus the value of that spectrum and those earth stations recouping the, that, um, the, you know, the, the money uh, that we think that you'll clear a lot more than, uh, than, than 180, you know, and, and potentially up to the full 500. But when you look at the, you know, the value, and, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to put a value on what we would think the spectrum is worth, but there are kind of a range of estimates, um, you know, from $40 billion up for, for this spectrum. So it's a lot of money. And when you look at it, of uh, the costs of a billion dollars to run fiber to all of these um, these earth stations, that goes a long way. So, but why wouldn't those same incentives be present in the in the C band alliance? Well, that's what I talked about, right? I mean, that is the monopoly, right? That is the so. And Peter's actually said right here, right? So they've got 